Welcome to this episode of ClearedCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. First, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the Intelligence and National Security Alliance, or INSA. INSA is the leading nonpartisan association for driving public-private partnerships to advance intelligence and national security priorities. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Cleared Cast. I'm Katie Keller, Editorial Communications Manager with ClearanceJobs.com. And today I'm joined by Megan Flannery Hayes, who is the department head at Pennsylvania State University's Applied Research Lab. And she has used her extraordinary leadership skills, vision, and empathy for others to transform her workplace, empower colleagues, and just bring about positive organizational change. So she is the lead member of the Applied Research Lab Strategic Plan Development Team for Recruiting and Retention and Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. So I actually had the pleasure of interviewing the Intelligence and National Security Alliance's Joan A. Dempsey Mentorship Awardee last year. So I'm really excited to be interviewing Megan today. Thank you so much for being with us here today at Clearance Jobs. Well, thank you, Katie. It's wonderful to be here. I thought we could start with a little background. So as department head of Penn State University's Applied Research Lab, what kind of work or projects are you managing? So one of the best parts of this job, honestly, is as a university-affiliated research center, we are constantly getting to dive in and do all different kinds of work and different kinds of projects. I get to do all different kinds of things, not just one thing in one area. My particular department is complex systems monitoring, and, and overall we're doing work in in the area of of different systems analyses, trying to figure out and implement new ways of automating information management, of doing data assurance, asset health monitoring, asset fleet lifecycle management. One of the fun parts of my career has also been working outside of my department and doing lots of cross-office, interagency kind of work and partnerships. Working on a a project right now that is a partnership with another department head uh, in materials and manufacturing for the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. And this was an opportunity for us to to kind of put together a lot of different things we've been working on, on on separate projects. Current project we have with the Defense Threat Reduction Agency is a research program, but it's a consortium. So it's the interaction of ionizing radiation with matter, and it's a university research alliance. But it's this great sort of twin mission of both pursuing and advancing science and physics and modeling and materials and everything in that space, but also really working at the same time on collaboration, on interdisciplinary, on bringing groups and different researchers together and then also on workforce development. Um, and that's where I'm the lead at the moment, right? So managing out a portfolio of different outreach programs, collaboration programs, student development, and, and all this, these things across 13 different universities and, and partners. I've done a little bit before in, in sort of smaller scope parts here and there, but this is a, a much bigger, much more exciting project for the moment. That work really does sound exciting. And, you know, it really gets me personally excited because uh, I actually used to recruit for this was a program with Department of Army, but it, it sort of it included the components of 
studying uh, material sciences. And it, it was more theoretical, though, looking at future threats. So that collaboration between you and Ditra, uh, it, again, it gets me really excited. And the automation work, you know, I know that our cleared cast audience is really interested, in, or any industry really is really interested in everyone's trying to automate processes and be more efficient in their processes. And especially in national security, that's certainly something that's really, really important and critical. So recruiting and retention, though, is really a challenge in any industry and in government as well. So what strategies have you put in place on the topic of workforce recruiting and retention, but specific to diversity, equity, and inclusion? I mean, workforce retention, creating the right culture, creating the right community and environment is something that yeah, it's very important to me and something that I've been working on sometimes on my own time, but it just, it's just, it's something that's a part of our, our organization at the moment. The place where I really start is just in listening, right? And talking to colleagues and talking to leadership and trying to hear and understand what everyone's challenges are. And some of that comes up when you're just having a cup of coffee and a conversation with someone or you run into them in the hall. And then some of it comes up in project meetings and other things where you see people struggling and trying to figure out how to put the team together or how to get someone to to stay or or seeing talent leave or other problems like that and trying to dive into that and then understand what some of the the root causes were and then trying to build programs and ideas and initiatives around that right so some of the things we have been hearing and listening to from colleagues across our organization for the last few years is the strong need for mentoring and a mentorship program and for clear criteria and formats and things around leadership and leadership development. What does one need to become a leader, right? What are there classes you have to take? Are there positions you have to hold? Are there certain project sizes that you need to lead? And, you know, how can one do this? And, and, and then how can you get the support to figure out what it is you need to do and figure out how to work through a network and how to get those experiences so you can start to move up, so you can start to do other things so that the work that you're doing resonates for you and it's where you want to be. And so, you know, we help put together a mentoring program here through the Women's Strategic Synergy Group at ARL. We've been working on leadership development and trying to help people through that process. And some of that is just the mentoring, right? It's Some of it is out there and it's written down, but it's, it's bringing that information to people and helping them see not just what they need to do, but then see themselves doing it, right? So, and then finally, really just building out culture and community, right? So retention around diversity, I think really starts at the heart of the community and the culture of the organization. Is this somewhere they want to be? Is this somewhere they feel welcome? Is this somewhere where there are safe spaces for them, where they can have conversations and they can do other things and they can bring their whole authentic self to work? And so just starting to really open that aperture up and and just initiate the conversations. Our leadership has been amazing in, in supporting this and, and getting out in front of it and having what we call all hands meetings, right? Getting the whole organization together over a lunch time or something like that. And then just asking some questions and, and leading into some of these topics and, and getting people talking about it, right? Because if we're, if we're talking about it, if we're thinking about it, then we're making progress and we're working on it. And so just trying to get those steps together, really just listening to people and, and hearing what their needs are and then and seeing how, how we can meet them. Sure. And I feel like that's definitely a way that sort of leadership has transformed in the last few decades, 
as opposed to, you know, management and your employees doing their work. It really has become more of in a professional environment doing that listening and asking those questions, which is very important. And I feel like in the workplace, you know, it it didn't used to be as transparent, but I think that transparency is really key you know, is a good proactive step that folks can do to transform their work environments. And so you mentioned a few that ARL has done to sort of meet cohorts where they're at. What about training? Do you think I've heard a lot recently, especially in the DOD and, you know, government, you know, that constant training is a way to keep your workforce remaining agile. So what are your thoughts on that? I agree with that. And I think what I would add to that is we've, talked a lot about, right? So training can sometimes have a negative connotation. Training can sometimes imply to people that there's something wrong or something that they're not doing that's right, something that needs to be fixed. And we're trying very hard to center our conversations around the fact that inclusion, especially inclusion, culture, what we really try and talk about in the perspective we take is more as inclusion as as a muscle, as something that you have to work and you have to constantly use and you have to constantly grow and continue to use really on a regular basis. If you're not using it, if you're not doing it right, it'll atrophy. So it's less about the 30 minute sort of class or something that you have to take and attend. It's not training for training sake. It's more really helping people learn how to communicate about these topics, how to ask questions, how to learn more, right? So we're trying to take an approach that is more getting people to get comfortable with the topics, get comfortable with the conversations and really grow the empathy and and learning to see things on the other side and try to understand and, and take that feedback from someone that maybe you're not used to getting. So many situations that I've seen and I've talked through with colleagues about are people who for them, a certain word or a certain topic or phrase is triggering. And for them, that's, you know, they have a reaction to that. But the person on the other side doesn't know or doesn't even understand that that's the kind of reaction that they're creating. And so trying to help people learn to have these conversations, learn to hear that feedback and accept it and start to kind of take a walk in other people's shoes and really approaching it from that perspective. So we do do some training at ARL and and we've come across some great ones. We did one last summer called Ouch, That Stereotype Hurts. And What was great about that is that it it gave just a single word, like a little bit of vernacular that was a common nomenclature then across the organization, because sometimes it is hard in the moment when you hear something and you know it doesn't feel right, but you're not sure exactly what to say, right? It gave us all this common language where you could just kind of say, out, and then you, you don't even have to add anything else to it in the moment, right? You can go back then and think about it and figure out how you want to approach it later, but it it just kind of brings that awareness in the moment that something has transpired that wasn't something that everybody felt the same way about and then allow it to be revisited kind of thing. Folks do think of training with a negative perspective, you know, keeping those muscles, as you say, exercised and being transparent through that quote unquote training. I love that ARL is, you know, making that a priority definitely relates to, um, you know, all of these things that we're discussing in recruiting and retention and being more inclusive in your recruiting efforts. As a woman in a STEM field, what do you think organizations and agencies or contractors, folks in the academic space can do to promote more women specifically in STEM fields sort of in relation to your recruiting efforts being more inclusive in those? Yeah. So I, again, I think promotion of women, promotion 
pretty much everyone, right? In in any form of diversity, any kind of inclusion, especially in STEM, again, it begins with that culture, that community where you feel welcome, where you feel like your contributions are valued, where you feel like you can bring your authentic self to work and to each project and everything you do. And I think having that initial base and that culture it instills confidence, especially in, in new employees and younger employees. And it, it lets them really bring more to their job and succeed better in that way. And so then the next step for that, then I think to you kind of building on the culture then is then, and, and this might seem obvious, but sometimes it's not for women is, is hearing leadership and mentors and your next level supervisors sit down and tell you, okay, you could be a department head someday. You could move on to the next level. You know, you're, you're, re- you're going to be ready, you know, in a couple of years, I think for this next level of engineer. Here's what you need to do to get there. Or here's why I think it's important that you apply for this job, right? Having those conversations, helping women, especially in organizations like STEM, where there aren't always a lot of women at the top or, or in supervisors or higher level research leadership roles. If you want to try and build people and start promoting from within, you have to meet those people where they're at and encourage them to apply for those jobs. And then a next step, to that, another important part, I think, is is setting requirements and criteria around promotion so that they're very clear cut and not just laying out what one needs to do in order to get promoted, but also having conversations with the folks who are doing the promotion or on the promotion committees about what you really can and what you should not consider when you're looking at a candidate. Because I think that sometimes where unconscious bias filters in a little bit. There are certain characteristics that are a little bit intangible that people look for in leadership or in leadership qualities that people don't always associate with women or with the approach that women take to things. So I think also having those conversations at, at the promotion committee level and, and really making sure that promotions and other things like that are about the achievements and the work they've done so far and, and where the, the, possibilities for where this person could go. Like you said, starting with promotions, if you're not even having women, you know, put in an application for whatever you're promoting, you're sort of cutting the candidate base, the potential qualified candidate base in half just from the start, which is really unfortunate. Absolutely. And then the other part of this, which is sort of the chicken and egg part, right, is is I think you'll start to see more women in STEM and moving up in leadership positions when they then there are other people who've gone before them, people who could be mentors, people who they can simply just see on the org chart and just know that that's obtainable, right? This is someone who had a family and who had a career and who's moved through this. Like, this is a doable, this is obtainable for me. To know that when you get to that level or to that more senior position that you'll be respected and that, that they want you and your contributions in the room. Well, and that's why I'm really excited. We actually have the first female director of national intelligence who is just inducted. So I, I, I totally agree with that. Seeing people who are, you know, are similar to you in those higher level positions is important for the next coming generations that are going to be entering their careers and eventually getting into those leadership positions as well. You did mention mentorship. You know, the Joan A. Dempsey Mentorship Award through INSA uh, recognizes a member of the intelligence, defense, or homeland security communities for their efforts to counsel junior colleagues and develop the future workforce, which you were awarded this year. So congratulations. We've touched on it a little bit, but why personally to you is mentoring important, especially in the academic space? So for me, 
the value of mentorship and why I think it is so important is because I, I have seen directly for myself in my career, the impact that really strong mentors have had, helping me build my communication skills, helping me build my confidence, helping me build my network and to just see new perspectives. And honestly, to also help me remind myself that I am not alone in this career journey. I don't have to do this all by myself. We're, we're a team. We're a network. There are other people out there supporting me. Kamala Harris, when, when she talks about becoming vice president, talked about always standing. She stands on the shoulders of giants and of everyone who came before her. And I feel that way personally about my own career. Where I have gotten has come from the help and support that I've gotten from my current colleagues, from my mentors, and and from those who came before me. And so I think, especially in the academic space, where there are so many aspects of a career that you have to manage simultaneously, there's the, the science and the technical part of it itself. There's the writing, the academic writing, the proposal writing, the technical writing, the presentation and communication skills, the leadership skills, the teaching, the business development, right? There's so many parts to it. And you have to bring along each aspect of yourself and your development to move your career through. And and that's where I think mentorship really comes in is, is where you might have a weak spot, where you have different strengths, you can seek out different mentors and different people who can help you grow in those areas. And I think that mentorship, that's an experience that I had and, and has been so helpful in my journey then I know it has to be helpful for other people. So I, I see that as something that is a real facilitator and, and opportunity to build friends and allies and colleagues along the way. Sure. So do you have any favorite mentors that helped to instill the values in your professional self that maybe helped you to obtain an award like this? There have been so many. I'd be almost feel bad even trying to like name one or two above others. When I was thinking about this, um, and, and this award, first person that comes to mind was for me was really my first mentor, which was with Heather Wingard. And it was very back early in my career. She was that combination for me of someone who, you know, at 32 was the youngest branch chief, was the first female. And she was out there, you know, very confident, head high, doing her job, but then also working with, with the rest of us. Uh, I was a very new analyst at the time and helping us see that this is somewhere we could go and that we can do this job. And she was a friend and she was an ally. And, you know, I just, I have very vivid memories of her and I'm very thankful for her and in, in getting me started, especially, you know, coming into work with one of your first jobs, you're not really sure that you can do this. And she helped me get over that hurdle. Well, and you mentioned, you know, having so many mentors that it's hard to choose just one. I feel like it's a common misconception with younger professionals that you need to just have one sort of formal mentor. It is so important to have many mentors for different facets, at least in my experience or in my opinion. But I've had throughout, you know, my short career in the Department of Defense, I've had, you know, mentors that have served you know, in different capacities or who have helped in, you know, various subjects of my life. And it's important to have many, whether they're short mentorship time periods or, you know, your long-term career, it's important to have, you know, many opinions to have as a sounding board. I 100% agree with that. And again, it comes back to there's also, there's so many facets and so many moving parts in, in terms of, of developing yourself and finding your career path different people in your life are going to have different strengths and be able to help you with different parts of that. And 
I also see mentors as, as people who open doors, people who provide opportunities in networking and not just meeting people to meet them, but to understand what their paths were and what some of the art of the possible is and to help you really explore kind of where you want to go. And, you know, I'm pretty much mid-career at this point in time, but I'm still asking myself, what do I want to be when I grow up, right? I still have opportunities sure. to shape my career and figure out where I want to go. And the more people I meet and the bigger that network is and that ability to meet other people and, and learn from them helps me really open the aperture of what is possible for me and where I can go. Sure. And it comes full circle. I, I feel like that certainly relates to sort of the constant training. The constant self-development is really professional development is really important. You're never done. You can always keep honing in on certain skill sets or developing new skill sets. Last question for you, Megan. What has been your biggest accomplishment, uh, especially last year in a year like 2020? Do you have any that are two or three if you have those, but do you have any that jump out at you? There are a couple. I think for me personally, my biggest accomplishment this year was working or my biggest challenge. And therefore, sir, I guess the thing I feel most accomplished in was maintaining and, and building new relationships and connections in a time when we're reduced to phone calls and Zoom black boxes and, you know, everybody's at home and we don't have those opportunities for the water cooler chats or passing people in the hallway, being able to build and maintain those connections and, and to help other people in my organization still feel connected beyond their computer, right? There's a person behind that. There are people who still appreciate them and value them and that the, the allowing that culture to sort of be maintained um, to, despite sort of the, the big challenges that were 2020. And then another really exciting thing that happened for, for us this year, the so the Women's Strategic Synergy Group, of which I am a member, put together a memo a couple of years ago, laying out the business case for why we think that Penn State and the Applied Research Lab should invest in parental leave for their staff. It was a couple of years in the making, and it took an incredible amount of support and continued help from our leadership to make it happen. But that program rolled out in 2020. So in February of 2020, they started the pilot program here at the Applied Research Lab, and then it went university-wide in, in July. And that was just, it was incredibly exciting to see something that our group had worked on for so long, right, have an impact throughout our entire university. And then to hear the stories, right, to get the feedback from fathers and from mothers and from supervisors on on what this has meant to them and how they see it and, and the implications that it's had for them personally and how it's changed things and, and made things that are in a, within our community and, and within our organization that much better. So that was really exciting this year. That's wonderful. And like you said, what an accomplishment. But to hear those stories, I'm sure just feels so good because, you know, you're working, I don't know who, how many hours people are working, especially during, you know, quarantining, but 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you're doing that for your family. And so work-life balance, that's super important. And uh, that, that sounds like an ama amazing accomplishment. I really appreciate you joining me today, Megan the winner of the Joan A. Dempsey Award through the Intelligence and National Security Alliance. Folks, from this conversation, what you should really take away, mentors, you need to have one. Uh, no matter where you're at in your career, I think a good mentor or good mentors is really important. But again, thank you, Megan, for joining me today. Thank you, Katie. I've really enjoyed it. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. To learn more career advice, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com. 